by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Doesn't it feel good to be part of something bigger than just yourself or your own little two or three, my four or no more? But, but you have a, a vast family, not just in this room, but all around the world of believers, all around the world, the church as a whole, we'll all be in heaven together, brothers and sisters. Well, anyway, you know we've been on a series for some time now. It's probably about time to wrap it up. I'm not sure if this is the last message, but it's called Heaven is All Around Us. We've talked about a lot of things. Elisha asked God to open up the eyes of his servant so he could see all the chariots of fire around them, that there's more on our side more with us than it was with them. So we have victory, right? We've talked about, uh, it's, it's mostly a series on spiritual warfare. We've talked about a lot of the weapons of our warfare, and we've discussed how we use them. And last week, we even got to a discussion on who is the enemy. And of course, that's Satan. And we talked about his devices and, and the tricks that he tries to pull and how to, how to be successful against your enemy. That's one of the things you talk about in basic training. If you were going to the army, Basic training will show you how to work your weapons and tell you a little bit about the enemy. But there comes a day where you got to get out of basic training and you got to hitch up your boots and do more than just jog. you got to get into the battle, right? And so today we're going to talk about battle stuff, how to win the battle. And uh, what we're talking about, like I said, is spiritual warfare. It's time to leave basic training because you know why? The battle is already raging. It's not something that hadn't started yet. It probably started back when you were a little child. Anyway, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. It'd be good to know if we were in a battle, wouldn't it? <laughs> you got a lot of Christians today. They think everything's just hunky-dory. They don't even realize there's an enemy. It's easy for me to say. It sounds like something off of... Find a Nemo, a Nemo-Nemone. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll give you the clue to the, the first question on your uh, fill-in-the-blanks on your bulletin. If you're filling in the blanks along with us today, today's message is entitled, A Decisive Battle. A Decisive Battle. And you'll come to realize what that means as we go along. Since Christmas is upon us, man, I can't believe 2015 is already here. <laughs> Just sneaks up on you, you know. But Matthew, <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read a little bit of a Christmas story. Verse 1. We got the heat on or something. My goodness. Okay, we got the heat on 63, but the heat is at 67. Let's put the air conditioner on. Don is not in control. <laughs> They're teaming up on me over here. Do I have anybody on this side <laughs> that'll help me? All right. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. They sound like wise men. They got the right idea. King Herod was deeply disturbed. I don't know if that's talking about his character or his actions. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. That's odd. Why would you be disturbed if your Messiah is about to be born, the one who's come to set us free? But they are. They're deeply disturbed. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophets wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go into Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me too so I can go to worship him. Yeah, right. How many knows it wasn't Herod's intention to go worship Jesus? After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. So we have two people here, Herod and, or two groups of people, Herod and the wise men. And they've both been given the same news, and they react as polar opposites. Clearly, somebody's not thinking right. Would you agree? Somebody's wrong about who this Messiah is. And see, that's where the battle begins, is in our thinking. You wanted to know what, what spiritual warfare is. Where does spiritual warfare take place? It's a spiritual matter, so where does it take place? It takes place on the battlefield of our minds. You didn't know it, but right here between these two flappy things is where your problem is. Some of you say, I thought my flappy things were the problem. No, it's between there that's the problem. Because between here are competing voices vying for your attention, vying for what you believe, trying to coerce you into believing something. So the battle takes place in our thinking. God likes to speak to us. Thank goodness we have a God that likes to speak to us. He didn't just leave us down here without help or without direction. Jesus says, it's good that I go away because I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll be a comforter to you. He'll teach you all the things that I've said. He'll remind you of stuff. <laughs> He'll be with you. He'll speak what, what I speak. He'll speak of me. He'll teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance. That's the Holy Spirit that God sent into our hearts, right? God speaks to us in Isaiah 30, 21. It says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way that you should go, whether it be to the right or to the left. So God wants to direct our steps. He wants his word to be a light unto our path. But of course, there's another voice that comes immediately to try to steal that voice. And he wants you to go a different way. Many of you, probably all of you, have, have heard me for any length of time know how much I love my brother. And I talk about him often and how he had stage four cancer several years ago. And he had a brain tumor removed. He had part of his lung removed. Somewhere along the line... And on one of those operations, one of the big operations that he was about to have the night before, I went to bed because I do that at night. And, uh, and, and sometimes God speaks to me at night. He'll wake me up, you know, and speak to me. I think that's the time he finds that I'm not so busy thinking. You know, my mind is settled down. He'll wait till the middle of the night. That's the only time he can get my attention, and he'll say something to me. So I'm used to God speaking to me at night. Well, this particular night, I was woken up. Is that wakened up? I'm not an English major. <laughs> I came awake. <laughs> and so I heard this voice saying, your brother is going to die. This is the night before his surgery. And so I get up, and I get out of bed, and I'm like, no, Lord. No, Lord, please, please, God. And the fears started to come on me. And all the, the things that I thought I had under control with my great faith, and the things that I prayed about, now God is telling me that my brother is going to die. And so I, I, I cried, and I walked around the house, and I stayed up for about an hour and a half 
No, God, please. I know you have your will, Lord, and it's you that determines our time to go and all these things. But, Father, he, he's only 40-something years old. He has so much life. He's my best friend. I can't do without him. Please, God, please. And so I agonized with this all that morning. The next day when I got up, I'm still agonizing. And I come to the place where I said, you know what, God? If that's your will, then so be it. But I can't agree with that, God. I, can't, I mean, I'm going to fight. I'm going to pray against that, God. Until you tell me to stop praying, I'm going to say no, God. I'm going to try to convince you to change your mind. I'm going to fight for my brother. I'm not just going to agree with that. Even if it's you, Lord, I'm sorry. And then something came to me and says, how did you feel when you heard that voice? What did you feel when you heard that voice last night? And I started thinking to myself, and I, and I started remembering the dread and the darkness that was overwhelming me even before the voice spoke. And, I, and I, I said, Lord, I felt. And then something told me, he says, when I speak to you, have you ever heard that? Have you ever felt that? And I said, no, Lord, even when you've given me news I didn't want to hear, I always felt a warm presence of you, uh, uh, some, something wonderful. Then it's dawned on me, I had been duped. The devil knew that I often woke up in the middle of the night, so he came in as an angel of light trying to get me to agree with him that my brother would die. That, my friends, is spiritual warfare. That is what it's like, competing voices. And we have to be careful. I know the Bible says that we shall know the voice of our shepherd and the voice of a stranger we shall not follow, but you got to know your shepherd. And thank goodness that I kept praying it out until I made sure whose voice I was listening to. And, I, and believe me, the devil is, it wants to confuse. That's his trick. You know, I've often said that a mind made up is a battle won. You know, I'm... I'm, about firm I'm a firm decision man. I believe you make firm decisions. And a mind made up is a battle won. But I'll give you this caveat. It must be a mind made up on the right voice, on the right thing. <laughs> a mind made up on the wrong thing could get you in trouble. And let me just say, glory to God, my brother's cancer-free, and it's four years later. He's, he's doing good. We played golf the other day. Of course, you guys all know that. Let's talk about the power of a decision. Hmm? Turn the air off. It's just starting to feel good in here to me. <laughs> we'll just cut the whole thing off, all right? Lights and everything. We'll do it in the dark. Do it in the dark. All right. The power of a decision. God gives simple choices. We talked about that last week. He gives you the hands. On this hand, you got life and death, blessing and cursing. Then he says, you choose. He makes it just as plain and simple as he can, right? Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Black and white, would you agree? God likes elevator-type decisions. If you go in the hallway to get on the elevator, you got two buttons. One points down. And the other one points up. You got two decisions. So you choose, right? Everything that we decide, to some degree, even the little decisions that we make, choose whether we go higher or whether we go lower. I want you to think about the decisions you make on a daily basis because that's what I'm talking about. The devil, he wants to twist and confuse everything. He wants us to believe that we can live in gray areas. He wants you, he's fine with you saying you trust God, but you're living in doubt and fear. He's fine with you saying that. He wants you to, okay, well, let him believe every now and then, but when it comes to big things, I'm going to keep him in doubt and unbelief. He's cool with you knowing the truth as long as you choose to live in the lie. Now I'm talking about everyday Christians sitting in church saying they believe the truth but not living it. 
A lot of, a lot of people say, well, I follow Jesus, but I like to do my own thing. How you do that? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. How you follow Jesus, you said he was Lord, but you do your own thing. I think we're trying to create a being that was never meant to exist. Either he's Lord or he ain't. Can I get an amen? Amen. And see, that's a miserable place to be. I know from personal experience, once I gave my heart to Jesus, he became Lord. He sent his spirit into my heart to lead me and guide me into all truth. And so when I want to get off the path of truth and do something that my flesh wants to do, what happens? That Holy Spirit starts quaking inside of me. He makes sure it ain't no fun over there. And if I was to get trapped over there and couldn't get out, I would be in a miserable place. Miserable. You can't say, you can't have Jesus as Lord and live in the darkness and have any fun. Maybe you used to. Used to go clubbing and drinking and and partying it up. And man, you had a lot of fun. But you can't do that anymore. There you go, thank God. But a lot of people will say, well, Jesus, he knows my heart. Jesus knows my heart. What? Like he knew Judas's. (laughs) I'm glad y'all laughing. Judas tried to ride the fence. He was the original fence rider. He tried to live on both sides, in the dark and in the light. He he walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He had Sunday school with Jesus. He went to church with Jesus. He sat by Jesus. He lifted his hands during worship. He said amen in all the right places. But the whole time he's with Jesus, he's thinking, do I really believe? Is this going to... Do I I really want to do this? His flesh was still wanting to be in control. He was trying to ride the fence. But let me give you the end of the story. Judas fell off the fence. And you will too if you try to ride the fence. We know from Scripture that, that Judas, after he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he finally came to himself, and he wanted to repent, and he came and he threw those 30 pieces of silver at the Pharisees and said, take it back. They said, it's too late. So Judas went out and hanged himself. He hung himself, and then the Pharisees took those 30 pieces of silver and bought the field where he hung himself and called it the field of blood, and they made it a graveyard. In Acts 1.18, it says Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out his intestines. That's not a pretty picture. That's not a fence I want to fall off of. But the good news is, you get to decide. That's not going to be me. Can't nobody force that to be you. (laughs) What we're talking about here today is being led by the Spirit or being led by the flesh. If If we break it down, which one are you being led by? Let's turn to Romans 8, 6. Romans 8, probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, along with John 14. Romans 8, 6. So letting your sinful nature, that's that old man that you used to be before you gave your heart to Jesus. That's the the flesh. That's your sinful nature. That's the old person that you were before Jesus. But he's still under there. (laughs) 
You remember when you got baptized, you were supposed to put him under. You put him in the grave and you came up a new man. You left the old man under. But it says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind. Sounds like it should say spirit, doesn't it? But, but remember, where is the battle? It's in your mind. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. If you're flesh-driven, every decision, the wages of sin is death. So you're going to sin. Flesh wants to sin, you're going to be led to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind, so you have a new spirit and listening to Him and letting Him control your mind, it leads to life and peace. I like it added peace. I already know that peace comes with life, but I like to see it there anyway. For those of us who are troubled in mind and have no peace, there's your answer. Begin to let the spirit that God put in you control your mind. Christianity is more than just receiving your salvation. It's what you do with your salvation once you receive it. You were called with a holy calling. Don't you agree? Do you think we're just down here just waiting on heaven? A lot of people are. A lot of Christians. They, they punch their ticket and say, I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm just going to sit on this pew until Jesus comes back. And they just puff up with knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, and they go to conferences and get knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And they never do anything. They never enter in to their calling. You know, Jesus would rather you have just almost no knowledge but a willingness to go than to be puffed up with knowledge and won't go anywhere. He can work with that. That's why when we see new Christians, they have such a zeal, they want to tell people, but they don't even know what to tell them, but they just tell them. Right? And you want to say, man, you, you didn't say that right, but, but let them go. They're telling some of you over there know everything, ain't said a word. Don't let me get off track. Don't let me get off track. Your decisions, the things that you decide, remember we're talking about decisions, the battle, the decisions you make, it sets your direction. Every decision you make is setting your course. If you keep deciding with the flesh, you keep heading towards death. When you decide with the Spirit, you're heading towards God. Life and peace. Is that so simple? And you choose. The devil can't make you do nothing. Your situations can't make you do nothing. I could get in your face and cuss you like a dog, and you could sit there and say, I choose not to respond. Boy, you'd really have to be built up in the Spirit, but you could do it. You choose who you become, not your mama, not your spouse, not your pastor. Nobody chooses who you become, and only you will stand before Jesus and give an account for the decisions that you have made in this life. Only you. You can't bring in mama. Mama, come here. Tell him you told me not to do that. She won't be in the room. <laughs> in my case, thank goodness, no. She'll tell all on me. <laughs> a guy named Stephen Covey, he said, I'm not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions. Boy, if some people in America would own up to their decisions and stop blaming everything else, what kind of country would we have? I like people who will shoulder their responsibility for their actions. If you would shoulder your responsibility for your own actions, then you probably wouldn't be doing such stupid stuff. Because you wouldn't have nobody to blame but yourself. Let's talk about your thought life for a minute because that's where all the action is going on. The epicenter, the grand computer of your life. Do you stay worried and depressed and down in the dumps? confused, I just feel this, this weight on me. This, I can't think straight. I just, it's, it's like a darkness. It's a fog. It's a mist. We call it all these things. I can guarantee you, 
you're experiencing that because you're letting your flesh decide too many things in your life. You're letting the flesh rule your mind. Are you glued to world news? To their spin cycle? Are you just watching CNN constant negative news? Are you watching it? Because they're preaching a different gospel. The gospel of division. Not just CNN, Fox News, whatever you, all the newses. They're preaching division. They're not preaching unification. They're not talking about the th same things our gospel is teaching. Have you become a social media zombie or a TV zombie? <laughs> That's so clearly the devil's workshop. You're going to stand before God and say, I, God, I have the fastest thumb down there on earth. <laughs> Congratulations. Or some of it might be the control, the remote. We all struggle against these things. But how are we going to answer God one day when we stand before him and say, well, uh, I know I spent eight hours a day watching somebody else live life on TV, never live mine. You know, there was a movie one time, Angie pointed out, that had, those, had some goggles that you put on. It was a Christian movie, low-budget thing. And you put the, these goggles on, and, and the devil has you, and, and you're drawn into his world, and nobody wants to take them off. Once you start looking into, oh, it's such, you know, was a long, that was a long time ago. That movie was before they had, but have you seen the commercials for the goggles? Don't, be a, don't become a zombie for this world. Be careful. Limit yourself. Set parameters. Think about what's good for your use of your time. I didn't want to say this one, but I wrote it down. Have you become a porno pervert? Statistics prove that many have. They've entered into the dark world of pornography, especially men, because it's a great temptation to us. And I'm not saying that uh, it's not a struggle for all, for all men and for some women. I'm not saying that you know, your, your flesh just doesn't just want to see something that it ain't supposed to see. But if you give in and you're, you're gripped and hooked by that, then it's taking you down into places that you don't want to go. It's darkness. And you, no wonder we're living in such heavy darkness because of the amount of things that we have to choose from have overwhelmed the average person. That's why we in this last generation, you were chosen to be this last generation because God knew he could trust you to carry the light forward and to stay out of darkness. He chose you for such a time as this. We must rise out of the ashes. We must be lifted up in good things. Whatsoever things be pure and lovely of a good report, think on these things. If your eye be full of light, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be dark, then your whole body is full of darkness. How great is that darkness? We have to make better decisions. We can't be like the world and win the world. Put your spirit in control. Pursue godly things with godly people. You want peace and joy in your life? I'm telling you how to get it. Follow the Spirit. Don't let your flesh rule. You know what the enemy's after? He's after your will. He's after, if he can get your decisions, he can get your will. And God gave us free will. Why did God, what was God thinking? Why would it? Because he wanted us to be like him. He wanted us to be able to choose whether we love him or not. He doesn't want it to be a fake thing, a, a forced thing, a coerced thing. He wants us to, to love him because we want to. And he wanted to know which ones would serve him and which ones weren't. And if you didn't have free will to make your own decisions, how could he do that? How could he raise anything other than robots? We were created in his image with his free will. And as much as he hates to see people make the wrong decision, for there to be love in this world, a choice had to be given. 
What about the battles in the gardens? In the first garden, Adam and Eve. There was only one tree in the entire garden God said don't eat of. And he just put that there so there could be a decision for evil. And the devil got in there right off the bat, talked Adam and Eve to eat out of the one tree when they had the whole garden. Thank goodness for that star over Bethlehem, for that baby born in a manger that came and hit the reset button. In his garden experience, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He showed us the way. Stop siding with the flesh. Stop listening to the devil. Adam should have stood up and said, stop talking to my wife. I have authority right here. You get out. And that's the way we have to take our homes back. Stand up and say, this is my territory. Devil, you have no place here. This is my home. It's for me and my house. We will follow the Lord. You don't realize it, but the devil's afraid of you. He's afraid of the Spirit of God that's within you. He's afraid of the authority that you have been given as a a believer in Jesus Christ. He is afraid of you. You tell him what to do. Don't let him tell you what to do. That's that's ludicrous. What is God's will? He gave us free will, but what is his will in the whole deal? Well, his will is found in a place called Matthew through Revelations. The new will and testament of Jesus Christ where you find that you're heirs according to the promises of Abraham. You find that you have eternal life. You find that you have forgiveness for your sins. You find that you can put on Jesus' robe of righteousness. And God will see you through the blood and see you just as Jesus... You find that you have a new spirit. You're not dead in your sins and trespasses, but you're alive unto God and able to make good decisions. Now you have the power to overcome sin. You find that you've been given the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, which is reserved for us in heaven. Yes, heaven is coming. And we should rejoice over that. There's coming a day that we won't have to struggle anymore. But right now, we're in the battle. And if we act like there's not a battle, we act like we don't know there's a battle, then we're fooling ourselves and we're losing the battle. The best thing about God's will is that he wants to know us. And he wants us to know him. He has revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. You can know him. The Apostle Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Anyway, he said, I counted all as dung, all the things that I had in this world just like dung compared to the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all just foolishness, silliness. It's so far below what God has for me. Just to know him. Just to to know him part. And you can know him more and more every day. You know, we come from a fleshly background until we get saved. And the first thing we get saved, the first thing we think about is, what do I get out of this? We start thinking, okay, I get forgiven. Okay, God's going to start blessing me. How does he bless me? And we start looking for the promises, and that's good. But let me get you to the point, to know him. That's the best thing, to know him. That you might know God. Wow. Jesus said, the devil cometh but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. That is God's will for you. And don't think you can't do it. He says in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. What is our excuse? I will give, not a patched up heart, not one that's still leaking, smushed, broke down, battered. 
I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. See, he put it in there so that we could overcome sin. That we could obey his commands and regulations. It's all brand new. You have a inner, new inner working. You ever have a car and they try to get you to sign up for some uh, warranty for the, what's it called, the main track, the uh, drivetrain? There you go. You got a new drivetrain. Brand new. You're starting fresh the day you give your heart to Jesus. <laughs> Man, that's good. But I'm not, I'm, not saying so, you know, I'm not saying that it's not a struggle. I'm not saying that you don't have to wake up tomorrow and deal with those voices. I'm not saying you just choose today and then it's over with. I'm saying it is a day-by-day -day struggle. Every day you have to make the right decisions. One decision upon another decision. Every decision leading up or leading down. It is a struggle. And for some, it's more of a struggle than others. Some of us, it comes easy at this point in our life. Some of us have, when we were in the world, got hooked into addictions. And so it makes it extra tough for us to be free. Because we don't, we don't have the right thinking yet. But if you will set your mind on the Word of God, you can be free. The answers... The things of God, the Spirit of God will reveal how for you to be free. And as hard as it is, let me say this. And if you leave with nothing else today, at least know this. You've got to know that bad decisions are multiplying your problems. At least know that your bad decisions are not helping Every time you make a bad decision, it's taking more. I mean, oh, man, I, I'm so sad about so-and-so left me. I think I'll go get a beer. How did that help your situation? Now you're hungover and depressed. Right? Making firm, right decisions will lead to victory. Notice I said firm. Say firm. Firm. I heard a story about, a true story, about a woman who uh, in her teens and early 20s, uh, she was kind of a party animal, you know, drank, smoked and everything, smoked a little of that wacky weed. And uh, she gave her heart to Jesus. God delivered her from those things and set her free. 20 years later, she goes into her daughter's room looking through her things and finds a bag of weed. The devil says, why don't you, why don't you smoke some again see if it was as good as you remember? I have no idea why, but she rolled some up and she smoked a joint. Just one won't hurt. I'm just going to see. It's two or three years since then, maybe. Maybe more. I don't know the whole story. But to my knowledge, she is still struggling now. Something that had been dead to her life is now an issue again. She can't wait till she can go buy some more marijuana to smoke. She is hooked on it. She fights against it. She's battling. It's turmoil in her mind all the time, struggling against something that God had already once set her free from. Joyce Myers says, don't reason in the mind, just obey in the spirit. See, your mind will lead you astray. God's word is plain. It's simple. It's up or down. Make good decisions. Don't let your mind talk you out of fault. Don't let your mind say 20 years later, did God really say God already set you free, and you want to go back into captivity? Let your firm decisions be firm decisions. Don't play around with fire again. You haven't burned your house down once. 
Don't ask your flesh how it feels about something. See, that's when, when your flesh is in control, it's got a lot to say. You just tell your flesh, look, you can get out with the devil. <laughs> this is my house. My house is ruled by the Lord. I listen to my spirit. I know the difference in right and wrong, and I know you're just lazy and no good and want to bring me down. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to my spirit. It's like Esau. Esau had been hunting for a couple days, and he come back just famished. He's wore out and tired, and he's so hungry he can't hardly see straight. And he walks in, and old Jacob's over there with a big bowl of stew cooking it up. Old swindler Jacob. Esau says, brother, give me a bowl of that stew. Well, Jacob saw his opportunity. He said, I will if you give me your birthright. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I imagine they bantered back and forth. Just give me some soup, man. No, give me your birthright, you know. Finally, Esau says, well, what good is it for me to die with a birthright? I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. Just give me the soup. All right, you can have the birthright. Let his flesh make a major decision. He gave away his birthright for a little bowl of red soup. And that's what you do when you make these fleshly decisions. And Hebrews 12, 17 says, you know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. Later, when he come to his senses and he realized the decision, but he wants his father's blessing, of course. He's the oldest. But he was rejected. It was too late for repentance. Oh, even though he begged with bitter tears. It is spoken that we are free to choose, but we are not free from the consequences of our choices. You can choose what you want to choose, but you don't get to choose the consequences. And sometimes the consequences can be firm, as in the case of Esau. Somebody take a deep breath. Aren't you glad Christmas is coming up and maybe next week I won't preach so hard? <laughs> you know, I only do it because I love you. I, I just have to tell you what God gives me to tell you. I'm not saying I hear perfectly from God. I could be missing it, but I'm doing my best. And I'm not going to be a compromised preacher. I'm just going to tell you the things that's going to help your life. If we don't speak about the, the hard things, then you don't get helped. If, <laughs> of course, we know the biggest decision of all is who is Jesus. That's the biggest decision any of us will ever make. The question with the most consequences. Jesus is either the rock on which we stand or he's the rock that will crush you to powder. The Bible tells us that in Matthew chapter 21. He's, he's either our ultimate victory or our ultimate demise. Everything hinges on who Jesus is to you. Is he Lord? Is he your Savior? Or have you rejected him? Our last elevator ride, whether it goes up or whether it goes down, will be determined by what you decide about Jesus. I know you all know that. Let's talk about Herod some more. Herod had become a monster. Why was he so deeply disturbed about Jesus, which should have been the best news anybody could ever get. Why, why was he deeply disturbed about Jesus? I'll tell you, because he was already just a deeply disturbed human being. Darkness had encroached into his life. He had listened to the wrong voices for too long. He sat back in his life, and he built monuments to himself. On the backs of slave labor, Overtaxation on his people? He just built monuments to his own pride and his own ego, his imagined legacy. History tells us that he had already killed several of his wives and two of his sons because he had this paranoid belief that everybody wanted his throne. Sounds like a wicked man. Herod chose to listen to the voices of madness in his life. 
Of course he saw Jesus as a threat. Because his master, Satan, saw Jesus as a threat. You think, well, I'm glad I'm not like Herod. That could never be me. Herod was just a human like we are who made a series of bad choices. Choice compounded upon choice, leading down to darkness that he never knew that he would end up in. Nobody as a little child grows up thinking, I'm going to become a serial killer. Nobody thinks, I'm going to grow up and become a mass murderer. I'm going to grow up and and commit genocide on an entire nation. That is not anybody's goal. How do they get there? One choice at a time. One choice at a time. Herod chose, since the wise men didn't come back, he chose to have all the babies, two and under, in the whole town of Bethlehem, murdered. And so he got his little bowl of red soup. Sad. A sad life. And you see people like that all around us. I felt my life going in that direction 20 years ago. Thank goodness for Jesus. Thank goodness for his mercy how he doesn't give up on people. We can't either. The wise men, well, they're wise men. They chose to follow the star. They chose to seek out the king and to worship him. I'm hoping all of us in here are wise men that make the right decision. Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. When I hear his name, I'm filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. That's my heart. Isn't it your heart? It doesn't cry out to worship him, to bow down before him. Oh, if you could see the child Jesus, wouldn't that be what you would want to do? Then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, which denote his kingship, and frankincense, which denote his priesthood, and myrrh which speak of the sacrifice that he would make and the suffering that he would endure. And when it was time to leave, oh, I would hate to have to leave. They returned to their own country another route. They didn't leave the way they had come because they had met with the Messiah. They had worshipped the king. For God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so I hope we'll be wise men in here and none of us will return to Herod. None of us will return to the darkness. That your life has been impacted by Jesus, that you'll go home another way. Jesus said, I am the way. Follow me. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. You don't have to go back Herod's way. Just pursue the Holy One of Israel, the one born king, the one that came to to redeem us, to set us captives free. Think about that. God born as a human. We're still rejoicing over it all these years later, but do we still understand it? Can we grasp the immensity of a God who spoke of the universe and the galaxies into existence and then looked at one little planet smaller than a grain of sand A planet that the people he put on it had ruined and infected with sin. And that God outside of all the universe, bigger than anything ever, leaves his throne and comes down to live in that sin-inhabited world. Not only to, to live there, but to die there. Even the death of the cross to suffer in our place. What kind of God is that? Sure, we're going to celebrate Christmas. God became one of us. 
Jesus is still in human form. He didn't come out of the spirit into human form and then he goes back and sits on. He became one of us forever so that he can know us and be with us. It is the Christmas story is the most miraculous event of all history of mankind and the history of the world. As far as I know, unless he's done it on other planets. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised. That is the love of God, my friends. That is the love of God that will break every addiction in your life. If you can delve into the, the immenseness of his greatness, what can, what can the devil do to you then? Won't that straighten up your thinking? Help you decide right. Don't return Herod's way when you leave here today. Don't stop by and say, hey, Herod. <laughs> leave today different than you come. I know, I know how the devil works. A voice is speaking to some of you right now saying, I'm stirred up right now while pastor's preaching. He's preaching good, but, but, but that's too much on me. I like what I'm doing, and I'm not going to change. I'm just going to put it on the shelf for right now. I know the devil's speaking to some of you. I'm just going, oh, that's good, that's good. I'm, I'm, ju I'm just going to let it be knowledge, but I, I don't know if I can do it. Yes, you can. Don't listen to that voice. You can leave here and begin to make better decisions. Look at your pastor's challenge today. Not right now, but in a minute. Make the good decisions that lead to life. Look, the voices of heaven are all around us. The series is entitled Heaven is All Around Us. The voices of heaven are also all around us. Tune in to the voice of your Lord and win a decisive battle. Decisive your decisions. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.